Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. How does God guide a man from a career in outdoor education that includes a 5,000-mile cross-country bicycle trip, a 21-day National Outdoor Leadership School course, mountaineering expeditions in Latin America, and 10 weeks aboard the Sea Education Association Sailing School toll ships? All that before building Christian study centers at universities and colleges around the U.S. and Canada. What is a Christian study center? Where are they? Why do they exist? This is the story of Dr. Carl Johnson. We pause here at the beginning of our program, as we typically do, to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong, dear friend, so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried, yes, but three days later he rose again from the grave, offering God's hope, hope that has been received by Carl Johnson. And it's our prayer that you would turn to Jesus if you have not yet done so, Turn to Jesus, turn to God, turn from your way to God's way. That's called repentance. And if you already know the Lord, get ready to be encouraged. Dr. Carl Johnson is the executive director of the Consortium of Christian Study Centers. Prior to that, he served as founder of Chesterton House at Cornell, which he started in 2000. He received his bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees from Cornell University and served for 10 years as the inaugural Dan Tilleman, director of the Cornell Team and Leadership Center. In 2008, Carl became a founding board member of the consortium. He served as board chair for five years. He and his wife, Julie, live in Ithaca, New York. They have five adult children, Carl. Carl, welcome to our show. Thank you, Danny. It's great to be with you this morning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Rye, New York, a suburb outside New York City. That's about uh, 20 miles north of Yankee Stadium, just to put things in perspective for your Boston area listeners. Yes. Okay. So for some of the Boston area listeners, the mention of that name just gave them a little a little nudge in the side. <laughs> What was it like for you growing up there in Rye? Well, it, it was it was a great place to grow up in in, in many ways. Although um, you know it's it's a bit of a, an insular area in some ways. And uh, when I began to travel, um, sort of toward the end of my time in high school, you know, uh, it gave me very different points of reference of what life was like elsewhere. Whether it was you know riding my bicycle uh, across the country, or even just coming up to Ithaca, New York, uh, for college, which is a very different environment in in significant ways. 
Who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? Uh, by far, the most influential people in my life were my parents. My parents were uh, quite a bit older. They were in their mid forties when I was born. So they were born. They were born in the early nineteen twenties, and they were shaped and formed, uh, you know, by the depression when they were young. They were involved with World War II uh, as young adults, and so. Um, you know, I, I kind of came of age very acquainted with that kind of generation, greatest generation um, sense of quiet, hardworking, church-going family, and um, you know that that made a big impression on me. My, my father was a, a very quiet, hardworking, sort of blue-collar entrepreneur, and and my mother um, was a, a, an at-home mom. Um, and and very content with that, which I mentioned just to say that I think the impact she had on my life is a continual reminder that as tempting as it is to get drawn into uh, career and attempts at success in measurable sorts of ways, that the most important things in life are, to me, the things that she always remained most focused on, which was family, friends, and faith. Carl, did you have siblings? Did uh, had a, had a, uh, two sisters and a brother. I was the youngest among them. And what did your dad do? Uh, he ran a tool rental shop. So he he had aspired to go to college. He he would have been the first uh, member of his family to to ever go to college. But then the war interrupted those plans, and uh, so by the time World War II was over, uh, he he had to. He had to buckle down and get some work, and he started working in a, um, a boatyard and eventually opened his own tool rental business and became a truck rental business as well. How did you become a Christian? Well, I have no memory of ever not being a Christian, so I grew up um, going to church each week. I, I, I never uh, didn't think of myself as a Christian, uh, but of course the day comes— uh, high school years, college years, when you do have to ask yourself the questions, um, you know, do I really believe, uh, do I find this uh, account of reality provided in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures compelling, and and perhaps most importantly, is the way of Jesus the path that I want to follow with my life? And in my case, uh, I really had no problem just answering those questions in the affirmative. Uh, I know there's almost a sort of obligatory atheist phase that thinking people are supposed to go through as young adults, and somehow I, I, I missed that. I just sort of skipped over it. Well, it saves a lot of heartache. I I would imagine, but to think of your your dad and your your mom creating that environment for you in the early years what what a tender and you know spine strengthening generation indeed, even as you describe them, Carl, what were some of your your highlights Ex explain to us how God opened the door for you to to go to Cornell, because you've spent so many of your years there, how did that happen? Yeah, I've, I still live right across the street from the university. I've never moved more than about a mile from my freshman dorm, and I've been here for 40 years now. 
Um, and it's kind of funny the way it came about. I had a sister who is about 10 years older than me, and she was the first one to come here from my family to go to school. And uh, I, I came up to visit. I was about 10 years old. And she knew I liked soccer, so she took me to a soccer game. And back in those days, Cornell was actually very good uh, in soccer. And, you know, the stadium filled up with enthusiastic fans. And apparently I announced that I was going to attend Cornell and that I was going to play soccer without with very little sense as to how competitive each of those things were. But um, it it worked out. Uh, I, I did come to Cornell in 1985. I did play soccer. And um, I've always loved this place. I've loved uh, both the, the town of Ithaca as well as uh, the university itself. And so it's been, a, it's been a good long run. Being there for so long, but also at a pivotal time in your life, and I would think your spiritual formation. Carl, what were some highlights of your spiritual formation at Cornell? I'll mention uh, two or three. Uh, w one worth mentioning, perhaps, uh, sort of a, a, a negative one, and then one, one or two positive ones. The, the negative one being just that the environment here um, on campus in particular uh, is considerably more secular than the area that I'm from. So down in Westchester County, where I'm from, at least back in the 70s and early 80s, lots of people go to services um, Christian, Jewish, whatever. Uh, and it doesn't seem, or at least at that time, was not at all controversial. Uh, on campus, if you make the effort to get up and go to church, you really stand out. And all of a sudden, you're faced with this barrage of questions. Why do you do that? You really think that way? you know? And you have to be prepared to provide some reasons or defense for what you believe. And so that kind of intense uh, environment, what I sometimes refer to as a militantly secular environment, um, forced questions on me that I hadn't really thought through before. And for some people, I think the challenge results in them casting off their faith and uh, adopting that more secular way of being. And for me, it had the opposite effect. It actually drove me much deeper into the faith, into the tradition. Um, I found satisfying answers to the questions that I had much of the time, and I actually became much more serious about my faith. What would Another, you... Go ahead, go ahead, Carl. I, I was just going to mention also, uh, among the many, many very good courses I took, I took one very influential class with a, a philosopher, an environmental ethicist. Uh, he had done his PhD at Harvard and, and he was teaching in environmental ethics. Richard Bayer was his name. And it was just an extraordinary course uh, where we would do things like read the book of Galatians, which didn't seem on the surface of things to have anything to do with environmental ethics. But then he would talk about how so much of our environmental problems have to do with the way we relate to nature out of a kind of existential need to control our environment. And yet there's a way of leaning into an understanding of who God created us to be that liberates us from that need to control other people and the natural environment. And, and he was able to make that connection for a very broad, diverse audience of students. And it was really quite remarkable. And it kind of inspired me regarding the whole project of Christian learning. It must have also, I, I, I can only imagine, for you being in that tense, militant type of environment, at least from your perception, to even see fellow students 
responding, even at an intellectual level, to a professor's engagement with Galatians on the subject matter of environmental you know, ethics. Yeah, absolutely. Part part of what he brought that was so inspiring to me was an ability to communicate from a very particular from a perspective grounded in a very particular tradition, the Christian faith, to um, a public audience, essentially communicating across worldviews instead of um, becoming just sort of tribalistic and speaking like one might in a church where one makes assumptions about, you know, who's in the audience. Uh, he, he was he was in the public sphere communicating to a, a very diverse group of students, and yet he was able to do it effectively. And I've always considered that a bit of a model to aspire to follow. You're listening to Dr. Carl Johnson. He is the executive director of the Consortium of Christian Study Centers. When we come back, you'll hear more from him really sharing his out of his life journey. You see, it's in the life journey where the Lord placed him in Rye, New York. Parents grew up during the time of the Depression, him being the youngest. All these things have been a setup for a gracious way and the way God has prepared him for the work that he does today. More from Dr. Carl Johnson. When we come back from our break, you'll hear, well, how, how do human relations and uh, at the intersection of natural landscape, how has Jesus influenced Dr. Carl Johnson's perspective on that intersection? That and more. Dear friend, have you ever struggled with how to communicate your faith with someone near you? Some insights from Dr. Carl Johnson today. CSCMovement.org. Stay with us. The road of desperate life. They must beneath the barren sky. Leave it to me. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Carl Johnson received his master's degree, Master of Science, and his PhD from Cornell's Department of Natural Resources, where he focused on the history 
and philosophy of recreation and leisure. He's received grants from Atlantic Philanthropies and the Lilly Endowment and has guest lectured at many universities around the country. You're listening to the Good Life program. If you're tuning in right now or maybe caught the tail end of the last segment, you can get this program in its entirety. It's a podcast available for you. Just go to drdanny.live to find out more about Dr. Carl Johnson and the Christian Study Center movement. Go to cscmovement.org. Carl, how has Jesus influenced your perspectives on human relations and natural landscape? Oh, there's so much that could be said uh, on this front, but I'll just try to perhaps zero in on on one angle here, which is that in the course of my graduate studies, uh, I was interested in recreation, uh, leisure, uh, and that took me into the biblical theme of rest and Sabbath. And uh, in the course of, of sort of drilling down on, on the biblical teachings around the Exodus, what we see, of course, is Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery. And they have before them the promise of freedom and, and the promised land, a place associated with that freedom. And yet what's striking when you read the passage is that the Israelites didn't actually want what was being offered to them and they expressed a preference to return to egypt why uh well in egypt they had uh security and they actually preferred security to freedom and in a similar sort of a way jesus we sometimes refer to as the new moses of offering uh a newer and better kind of freedom spiritual freedom and yet it turns out that many of us resist that offer that we prefer security of various sorts whether it's financial security job security a kind of social security that comes from prestige and and i think that that theme which i got into originally because of my interest in in recreation and when when i really started to absorb what scripture was saying from beginning to end about about rest and resting in christ uh it, it makes one cautious about the temptations and the traps that lie before us with respect to various kinds of security that are that are um sort of dangled in front of us by the culture in which we live You've spoken around the country on a number of topics related and and some not so much related with this. How did God lead you, Carl, to the Christian Study Center movement? Well, uh, in 1995 or so, I think it was, um i went on a road trip with some other graduate students down to yale university and there was a veritas forum going on there i didn't know what that was at the time it was all very new and there was an incredible lineup of speakers uh and at the end of the weekend on the drive home i i got to wondering whether or not we might ever be able to do something like that at cornell but then i had this idea what if instead of having so many speakers on one weekend what if what if we kind of laid the schedule somewhat more horizontally and spread it out over the course of the entire year? And that was my original idea for what became 
the Chesterton House Center for Christian Studies is a, a kind of a veritas forum that never ends, so to speak, just uh, to create a kind of conversation about the role of Christian faith and academic learning and, and to create a community that gathered around that ongoing conversation. As the community grew, and I, I read somewhere that it was called Chesterton House before there actually was a house. Now there's a beautiful expanse property on an expanse piece of real estate. But what gave you the, the vision, or might, might I say the boldness, to call it that before it ever really came to be? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So uh, we wanted the ministry to be a community. And the word house captures and communicates something of that, right? So in a, in a real sense, we, we, we're using the word house not just to refer to a building or a structure, which indeed we did not have for the first several years, um, but to say that this is a community of people that's going to gather in a spirit of hospitality. We're going to dig down and talk about important and difficult topics. Um, but not in a kind of contentious sort of a way, um, but we're going we're gonna to do it over meals and, and over the formation of friendships. And so I do think it was, it was a good and appropriate um, name for the organization, but it was also aspirational. We knew that from the very beginning, we wanted to someday have a house. And by God's grace, um, that became possible uh, in the year 2010. And um, the ministry now has a, a two-acre campus with two big houses, uh, housing about 40 students, plus a, a cottage for some staff members. Amazing. Amazing. Conversations. Conversations with the likes of Dr. Drew Trotter. In what ways have those moments of collaboration influenced you? Well, I think just in terms of uh, how I think about education, um, you know, there are different models of education. There are traditional ways of thinking of education where the teacher just pours into the student and the student is a receptive learner. There are ways of thinking about it in a more progressive frame where all of the knowledge and wisdom really lies within the student and the educator really just needs to draw it out. And I think uh, a, a better way of thinking about education, it's, it's more consistent with the Christian faith, but not limited to the Christian faith, is to think of it as a dynamic interchange. Um, I think it's Joseph Pieper who has a line that, habit, that uh, conversation is the habitat of truth. And uh, learning is really very dialogical. It's very conversational. We, in fact, become who we are and who we're meant to be in and through conversation. So the conversations that I've had with friends and colleagues over the years um, have not only just taught me a lot, but they've really shaped the way I think about the project of education in general. Carl, let's go a little bit deeper on this. With regard to the Christian Studies Center, where is it rooted? Let's say biblically speaking, and then maybe touch on some historical points that bring us to where we are today. Um, yeah, so the study center movement uh, has its roots going back about 50 years or so uh, with the first such center at the University of Virginia. And it's gone through, the movement has gone through a few different 
phases of sorts, we might say. I, I would say that well into and through the 90s, the movement was very focused on the integration of faith and learning. It was a very academic project. Uh, in fact, um, some of the early centers referred to themselves as institutes, as if to you know emphasize the research component of the project. Over time, while remaining grounded in that original vision of the integration of faith and learning, the movement has expanded in, in, in some significant ways. Uh, we talk more these days about spiritual formation. We talk more about faith and vocation. Uh, we have even, I think, over time expanded notions of vocation to include not just future career, uh, but a, a focus on the present, uh, the vocation of being a student, um, but also thinking of vocation in terms of marriage or singleness, you know, one's station in life more generally. Uh, and I suspect that over time, the movement will continue to adapt to some changing circumstances and, and find new emphases while hopefully always remaining grounded in that original vision of faith learning integration that comes through thinkers like C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer, among others. But hospitality, having a place, having a home, a place that grounds these conversations and communities is also a very significant part of the Study Center movement. You're listening to Dr. Carl Johnson. He's the executive director of the Consortium of Christian Study Centers. We'll talk when we come back about where they are and where others are being built up, both in the idea form and in the literal form. It's amazing how these things have expanded. And I mean, can you imagine there are certain places that you anchor memories to and they have rather rather warm intimate very tender recollections when we think back on those you can find out more about the christian study center movement at cscmovement.org stay with us we'll be back this is danny yamashiro don pick benson wrote when i was growing up my dad was a farmer, not a Christian. He had little interest in faith, having been told by his father that the Bible was a fairy tale. But then a local pastor took an interest in my dad, asking if he could help plow the fields on the weekend. That one act of service spoke louder than words ever could to my dad. By his actions, the pastor made my dad feel loved, and that did more than any preaching could have. He didn't need convincing about the theological correctness of the Bible. He needed to feel God's love for him. This pastor met that need in a practical way, and that's evangelism. For more inspiration on evangelism, go to drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. All right, the website is cscmovement.org. That's for Christian study centers. 
They are a hub of Christian community and learning. Dr. Carl Johnson is the executive director of the Consortium of Christian Study Centers located adjacent to universities and colleges. Study centers support and complement their host institution's mission to discover and disseminate knowledge by convening conversations that address the big questions in life, meaning, purpose, value. Again, find out more at cscmovement.org. Carl, as we point our listeners to where they can find out more, as you share about this, this great work that God has been doing and continues to do in increasing measure, and your role as leader, go further and explain to us both why, why do they exist? Why do Christian study centers need to exist adjacent to universities and colleges? Well, uh, one of the main reasons I think is that um, as universities have largely become more secular, and there's been a little bit of a, a what we sometimes call a loss of consensus around issues of faith and values, there's more and more uh, white space that's available for uh, Christian scholars and students to step into to simply raise questions around what we say meaning, purpose, and value. Um, universities have largely limited themselves to much narrower and more technical kinds of questions and have increasingly become much more focused on simply preparing students for careers and uh, considerably less focused on trying to you know, build character or address these uh, questions of meaning. Um, so that loss of, of consensus around how those questions might get answered has led to the questions being asked less frequently. And yet students are very interested in these sorts of questions. And so we can host events with uh, a title like, you know, can a scientist believe in life after death? We'll get 500 or 1,000 students showing up because they really want to hear about this and they want to talk about it. So, so there's a, a certain amount of um, space that's been seeded, if you will, by uh, universities around these sorts of questions. And it's a great opportunity for persons of faith and communities of faith to have a presence on campus to say, you know, we're going to continue these conversations and um, we're going to have these conversations in a way that doesn't require the participants to check their faith at the door. You can come in the fullness of who you are and let's talk about these things uh, that matter most. The fullness of who you are. Come, come, come as you are and let's engage. That spirit. Now, Carl, you talked about, you know, can a scientist believe in life after death? You hold this event, let's say 500 to 1,000 people come. You mentioned earlier that your vision for Chesterton House was to, in a way, expand over the course of a year, something like what Veritas Forum has done and continues to do. What types of events would you hold, would the Chesterton House hold over the course of a year? All kinds of events. In addition to public lectures, uh, we would have a lot of um, alumni and parents come and talk about what they do for work. And so that would be a series on faith and vocation. 
uh, we often watched films and then had extended discussions afterwards, sort of debriefing, you know, the themes in the film and what can be learned uh, from the way the filmmakers crafted their art. Um, those conversations I can remember sometimes going until one, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, occasionally, we would do more academic conferences where we would have scholars present a paper and other scholars providing a response. Um, that dialogue and exchange at times resulted in books getting published. Uh, we hosted a, a young sociologist, Felicia Wu Song, several years ago. She gave a great talk on Facebook and friendship. And then some years later, not too long ago, um, she published a book with InterVarsity Press called Restless Devices. So we're, we're involved in uh, helping scholars uh, get their academic work published as well. When you look back, Carl, now, you, now you're sitting in the, the chair as executive director, but you've, you've, you're the entrepreneurial gift that God gave to you know, bring forth Chesterton House. So a couple decades of work. When you look back, how do you feel? Uh, well, a retrospective perspective can be very deceptive, and I'll liken it a little bit to mountaineering. You know, when you get to the summit of a mountain and you look down in the valley, it, it looks very picturesque and you want to take a photograph and send it to a friend. But the reality is most of the time when you're hiking up that valley, you're you're stepping in the mud, you're swatting mosquitoes, you, you don't have much of a, a, a vista to look out on at all, your, your view is obscured by the trees and the bushes, and a lot of times it's actually not that enjoyable in the moment. And my experience over the last, you know, 20 plus years with Chesterton House was something similar. In, in a way, I, I look back and I can look at a picture of the campus and a few testimonies of, of young alumni who went through the program and it all looks wonderful. Um, but the reality is on a day to day basis, most of the time it was just it was a bit of a slog. It was hard work. There were lots of challenges, lots of setbacks, and probably more days that felt like failures than successes. And so uh, I, I think this retrospective perspective is a bit of a gift from God to, uh, to encourage us and sustain us as we, as we go forward. You mentioned the slog. So here we are. You know, it's, it's the daily grind. It's not all glamorous. Far from it. So it sounds. Yeah. Someone today may be facing their own challenge. It's not in Ithaca, not on the campus of Cornell. It's, it's, it's at their own workplace. It's in their own home, a challenge. It's, it's a grind. They, they haven't even had the privilege of taking a retrospective view on it. They're in the middle of it. A word of encouragement from someone who has been there for decades over the course of building something great? Well, it's a funny thing that when I speak with uh, folks who are starting study centers or running very small centers and, you know, they share with me the challenges that they have. Um, when I started this current role as director of the consortium, um, I didn't appreciate the extent to which what people really wanted to hear from me was not so much what worked over the course of my years at Chesterton House, but what didn't work? And when I share my stories of, of failure and discouragement, somehow uh, I think they find encouragement in that. 
that uh, you know even I experienced a, a lot of setbacks. So some some folks have asked me if I could write up a little booklet on how to start a Christian Study Center, and I have only half jokingly said to them, I could much more easily write a booklet on how not to start a Christian Study Center because I've made that many mistakes. It's strangely as it sounds, it it is encouraging for someone who's in the going through the slog right now to learn from someone who well i think one thing is, is there's a disarming nature to it where you, you there there's an open there, that with that transparency there's a comfort but you've come out on the other side so there's also hope why do you believe carl god called you to the executive directorship of the consortium in this season well, I can't say that I know for certain, but I suspect it has something to do with uh, what I just shared with you, that sort of combination of uh, a little bit of success and and a lot of failure. Um, I think the, the significant degree of discouragement that I experienced over the many years of trying to lead that organization actually positions me relatively well to enter into the, um, the lives and the challenges uh, that other directors have as they're trying to get their work off the ground. But I'll mention one thing in addition to that. So that that has to do with my work at Chesterton House, which was the 20-year period from 2000 to 2019. But 2020 brought something entirely different for me. I had left my position at Chesterton House, and I thought I had something else worked out uh, employment-wise, professionally. But then when the pandemic hit, uh, those plans really went out the window and, and I was unemployed and I didn't know what I was going to be doing with myself. And by God's grace, uh, some of the folks over at MIT, Mia Chung and Nathan Barzi, reached out to me and asked me if I would help them launch a Christian study center there at MIT. Uh, and that is, in fact, how I spent the year 2020. And that experience of tr of starting a Christian study center at a different time and a different place and a different kind of an institution, um, it gave me a really a broader perspective on the different ways of starting Christian study centers. Um, and, uh, you know, this is Zoom world and, and LinkedIn and the whole technology environment is very different. And it also just re-inspired me. It, it, it put wind in my sails. Mm regarding this project of starting Christian Study Centers. When I left Chesterton House, I was a little bit tired, but a, a year later, despite all the challenges of the pandemic, I was completely re-energized. I love it. It put wind in your sails. I, you know, I would imagine that means so much, so much for you to say that with your background. Carl, a prayer. I know we've got one more segment left, but I think this is a perfect time to pray. And I'm I want to ask if you'd be willing to do that because someone today needs some wind in their sails. They're, they're bogged down. They might not know where to go. Their plans may not have come to fruition in a surprising way. You can relate with that. Carl Johnson, would you pray for a listener today who's facing a tough challenge? Sure. 
Please. Lord of heaven and earth, how we give you thanks and praise for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the invitation of freedom that you put forth before us in the person of Jesus. And we pray for all those who are listening, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, whatever they're dealing with, whatever discouragements they may have. And we pray, Lord, that just as each of us who follows you knows from experience, you do come alongside us and put wind in our sails, not when we want it, but when we need it the most. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dear friend, as we share in this time together with you, remember, the Lord knows. The Lord sees. He understands. He guides. He, he provides. He even surprises. In moments of breakthrough when we might not even feel like we want to go on, or we don't know where to turn, the Lord, even in a moment like Today, right now, the Lord brings Dr. Carl Johnson to share a word, a timely word indeed, of encouragement with you. The Lord sees you and knows you and loves you, and he will lift you up, dear friend. When we come back from our break in our final segment, the future. What does Dr. Carl Johnson, as executive director of the Consortium of Christian Study Centers, what does he see? And... What is the strategic nature of that vision? What kind of impact might we be looking forward to? Might he be seeing, he and the members of his team? CSCmovement.org. More Heart to Heart with you, friends. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me Of Danny Yamashiro Ministries Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE, and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Christian study centers are communities of students and scholars animated by the ancient ideal of faith-seeking understanding. Christian study centers exist for the promotion of a Christian world and life view, salt and light in the university community, and servant and unifier of the church and parachurch. You're listening to The Good Life Program. Dr. Carl Johnson, the executive director of the Consortium of Christian Study Centers, is our guest today. Again, you can find out more at cscmovement.org. Carl, your vision. Describe your vision for the future of the consortium of Christian Study Centers. 
Well, my hope is that the movement will continue to grow and to flourish in both qualitative and quantitative ways. So uh, quantitatively, we currently have 37 centers that are members of the consortium. That's up from 29 just prior to the pandemic. So, uh, you know, a good clip of growth there over the last few years. And someday I hope that number goes to 50, 60, 80, 100. Um, the centers themselves are also growing. Most start out very small with just one or two staff persons. And we now have probably a handful that have 10 or 12 full-time staff members and are therefore capable of doing much more robust programming and serving more students on their campuses. So I, my hope in part is to see continued growth in those sorts of ways, more centers and larger centers. But no less importantly, um, I also hope that the centers will continue to grow with respect to their impact on students and the quality of the programming. So we gather together uh, once each summer for an annual meeting where we share best practices. Some centers have developed very impactful uh, fellows programs. And so that model is spreading like a contagion of sorts through the movement. Lots of other centers are starting to imitate that. And more recently, uh, there are some centers, including the Octet Collaborative, um, that have initiatives that are called intellectual hospitality, where they invite speakers um, to dialogue across differences and to model how it is that we can listen and learn from each other. And I think this is very important and strategic at this time in particular when we're facing issues related to, say, cancel culture and the inability to, to listen to people who think differently than we do. Carl, would you be able to just share a, a little bit as to where some of these study centers, at what campuses, at what universities or colleges are some of the study centers that you talk about? We have a map on our website of where the centers are located. And when you look at the map, you see there is a, a certain concentration of them down in the Virginia and the North Carolina areas. And that's almost certainly uh, because they are there are centers there that are spinning off of the large centers in Charlottesville and in Chapel Hill. Um, but there's also quite a number in the Northeast. So there are centers now at uh, MIT, uh, Yale, Dartmouth, uh, Cornell, et cetera. Uh, and then a lot of uh, large state universities, uh, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, um, UT Austin also have centers. I want to make sure I don't glance over this. You said that there were 29 study centers before the pandemic, and Correct. now there are 37 yep. centers. So most organizations experience a great deal of decline during the pandemic. You experience growth. What do you attribute that to? Uh, almost a growth spurt over the course of the pandemic years. How? I think some of these centers were probably already in the planning and the prayer phase prior to the pandemic. So part of what we were seeing was a coming to fruition of these earlier efforts. Uh, time will tell whether or not the pace of growth continues or whether the pandemic in fact has a bit of a, a setback of sorts on the rate of growth. I don't think we know that quite yet. Um, 
But when I think about my experience with the Octet Collaborative, there was also a, a bit of an opportunity where at least some people, including myself, actually had more time on their hands to do something new and different. And this was the work that we leaned into. Uh, the um, opportunities that come up with video conferencing actually make it easier than ever before to gather alumni and to communicate the vision. So there are some silver linings here in the changes that the last few tumultuous years have wrought. Along the way, as you speak about what grew out of the pandemic, there's this aspect of the study centers that talk about servant and unifier of the church and parachurch. Serving in what way and why does the church and parachurch need to be unified? Is there a problem? Going back to the original study center at the University of Virginia, I've heard the story told many times that when they first had their building, they used to say to the other campus ministries and campus ministers that anybody could go to the center and use the copy machine. <laughs> and that's a very, very concrete, albeit small, way of serving others and yet it captures something i think of the way in which centers really aspire to help all those who are involved in the ecosystem of christian ministries on campus advance their work at chesterton house uh, we hosted and convened a weekly prayer meeting for all the campus ministers that's been going on for well over a decade now and is a very important part i think of the experience of just about anybody uh, in that ecosystem at Cornell. Most study centers have something along these lines, whether it's a prayer meeting, a facility that's made available to others, a lecture series that is co-sponsored with other fellowships, providing a library and resources to those who are preparing Bible studies. So there's all sorts of practical ways, and it might look a little bit different on each of the campuses. As far as the church and the parachurch goes, um, if we think of the church as having both an organizational aspect as well as an organic aspect, there is organically only one church. Everybody who's a follower of Christ is, is part of that church. And we, so we want to retain that unity that transcends the reality that on an organizational level, we, every community has a multiplicity of Christian churches and, and uh, ministry organizations. So... Uh, we want to have a, a kind of a combination of that unity that transcends the diversity while maintaining, you know, the diverse ways in which the body of Christ expresses itself in ministry. You speak of the diversity, the, the voices that are there in the church, in the body of Christ. Let's take a, a, a type of maybe a bit of a transcendent view here and stretch it out a bit. How do the Christian study centers, how do you see, Carl, the Christian study centers, and this, this will be our final, final word today in this segment, we, we live in a socioeconomic time of great tension, a socioeconomic, political time of great tension, even as the presidential election comes up. What is happening in study centers that actually impacts the broader society in which we live? Well, um, you know, once upon a time, Christian communities were 
criticized for narrowing the conversation, right? Universities were known as this place where you could go and talk about just about anything. And the idea or the assumption out there was that if you go to a church or a campus ministry meeting, that the conversation narrowed. You were only supposed to talk about certain kinds of things. And to be perfectly honest, uh, right now, that dynamic has flipped. And students everywhere will report that on their campuses, they have to self-censor and they feel like the conversations are getting narrower and narrower. And in the midst of this, many Christian study centers are hosting conversations that feature diverse voices and in a non-threatening kind of a way, invite all comers to participate and offer their point of view. And so we now find ourselves in a somewhat paradoxical situation where students, not just Christians, but uh, students of all sorts, attend events hosted by Christian study centers and report that it's the one last place where they feel like they can really say what's on their mind. Timely, necessary, vital Christian study centers. I think back on the likes of C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, Mark Knoll at Notre Dame, and here we are, we're we're with you, Drew Trotter and, and your predecessor, and now you, Carl Johnson, it's a real blessing to hear from you and what God has done, is continuing to do, and the exciting things, deeply deeply exciting for the for the for the cause of the church the kingdom and the world carl johnson thank you for being with us today i really appreciate you thank you Dan. it's been a privilege thank you strategically timely words dear friend from dr carl johnson find out more at cscmovement.org my friend god's timing is perfect and there's no better time than right now to share the love of christ with someone near you And if you haven't done so, look, I believe this may be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Would you do that? Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Proverbs 9 verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Carl Johnson, cscmovement.org. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.